Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, July 24th. I'm Andrea Linares. Here are today's headlines. More than 150 medical experts, scientists and others urging the president and Congress to shut down the country and effectively push the reset button as coronavirus cases in the U.S. rise above the 4 million mark. And the Republican National Convention, just the latest political casualty of the crisis, President Trump canceling all major events planned in Jacksonville, Florida, citing the surging cases in the Sunshine State. And Pentagon officials opening up about a widespread problem in the military, sexual harassment and abuse. Those actions prompted by the disappearance and murder of 20-year-old soldier Vanessa Guillén. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with another grim milestone. There are now more than 4 million confirmed cases of coronavirus right here in the United States. This, as the CDC predicts, deaths could rise in the next few weeks to more than 160,000 people. But despite the dire situation and with hospitals near capacity, Dr. Deborah Burks offering a glimmer of hope. Lorraine Gassides has the latest on the pandemic. The U.S. topping 4 million cases, 1 million new infections in less than two weeks. 144,000 people in the country have already died, and the CDC is now estimating between 15 to 30,000 more people could die over the next three weeks. On Thursday, both California and Florida setting new records for the most deaths in a single day. Tennessee also seeing a record number in deaths. You know, at this point, it will help if everybody's wearing a mask the data shows it decreases transmission as the numbers climb more than 150 prominent u.s medical experts scientists teachers nurses and others have signed a letter to political leaders urging them to shut down the entire country and start over to contain the surging coronavirus pandemic dr deborah burke saying friday the surge in cases nationwide is quote very serious and very real but also giving some hope for the current hotspot like Texas, Arizona, California, and Florida, saying, we're already starting to see some plateauing in those critical four states that have suffered over the last four weeks. But meanwhile, hospitals are struggling, hospitalizations rising in all but nine states, back up to April levels. At least 50 hospitals in Florida have no ICU beds available. In Miami, the situation is dire, at least 10 hospitals there with no ICU capacity. And we're drowning. We're absolutely drowning here. It's just an overwhelming number of cases, 527 individuals in the ICUs. And uh, our doctors and nurses and respiratory technicians are all on overtime. It is just exhausting. On Thursday, officers in Miami Beach began enforcing the new mask mandate, issuing $50 tickets to violators. In Los Angeles, where the leading cause of death is set to become coronavirus, health officials are hoping to see a positive turning point in the next week. In Miami, Lorraine Caceres, U News. And speaking of the crisis in Florida, President Trump making a surprise announcement, calling off the Republican National Convention in that state due to a dramatic rise in cases there. Meanwhile, with just a few weeks left for the new school year to begin, the president now says some districts may need to consider pushing back their start date. 
President Trump canceling the Florida portion of the Republican National Convention to be held in Jacksonville, citing health risks from the coronavirus. I looked at my team and I said, the timing for this event is not right. It's just not right with what's happened recently, the flare up in Florida. But now Trump says the convention will be largely virtual. A small subset of GOP delegates will still formally renominate Trump on August 24th in Charlotte, North Carolina, at an event scheduled to last just four hours. We have to be vigilant. We have to be careful. And we also have to set an example. I think setting the example is very important. Uh, It's hard for us to say we're going to have a lot of people packed in a room and then other people shouldn't do it. In recent weeks, Trump had decided to shift the ceremonial portions of the GOP convention to Florida because of a dispute with North Carolina's Democratic leaders over holding an indoor gathering amid the pandemic. And now it's still unclear when and where Trump will give his acceptance speech. The president is also reversing course on schools, acknowledging for the first time that some schools may have to delay opening. In cities or states that are current hotspots, and you'll see that in the map behind me, districts may need to delay reopening for a few weeks, and that's possible. That'll be up to governors. As Florida grapples with a massive spike in cases, Governor Ron DeSantis continues to push for in-person learning, but acknowledges some COVID hotspots may need to make adjustments. And if a school district needs to delay the school year for a few weeks so that everything will be in good shape, have at it. The important thing is that our parents have a meaningful choice when it comes to in-person education. A new Quinnipiac poll found that Florida voters disapprove of President Trump and Governor DeSantis's handling of the pandemic. 57% disapprove of DeSantis's response, while 59% say they disapprove of Trump's response. Meanwhile, the CDC released long-awaited guidelines Thursday for reopening with a heavy emphasis on getting students back into the classroom. The guidelines lay out the social, emotional and mental risks of keeping students at home. The CDC also recommends schools move classes outside when possible and keep students in pods where the same groups stay together throughout school hours. And during the president's press briefing, he also suggested funds for schools that don't reopen should be diverted to parents who could then choose to send their children to private or charter schools. And another major news out of Washington, Pentagon leadership admitting this week in an exclusive interview with U News to problems with the military's sexual abuse reporting system. This in light of the disappearance and murder of Vanessa Guillen. She went missing in April and her remains were found two months later. She had already reportedly experienced sexual harassment in the military but was too afraid to report it. Edwin Pitti received that exclusive interview and he joins me now from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what did officials say exactly? Andrea, in this interview, we were able to talk to the top leadership of the U.S. Army and they all agreed that what happened to Vanessa Guillen was heartbreaking and that they are doing everything within their power to try to fix a trust issue that they have with soldiers right now, especially when it comes to moving forward to present allegations of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. Let's take a listen to what the Secretary of the Army, Ryan McCarthy, said to us. Uh, the special skiing uh, incidents, uh, it was heartbreaking. And um, it, it's, it's, 
something that is just not tolerable in our ranks. And uh, we, we have announced an independent panel to go conduct a review of Fort Hood, Texas. These are outside experts that will work directly under, under Secretary McPherson and General uh, Joe Martin, our Vice Chief of Staff, uh, to provide a, to conduct a series of interviews uh, with soldiers and civil servants on the installation and, and if necessary family members to ensure that there are not systemic problems related to Fort Hood. Now the army is now working by itself. Many organizations such as LULAC and the Hispanic Caucus in Congress are meeting regularly with them to try to come up with recommendations to make the army a safer place for, for soldiers to serve. We also talked to many soldiers that are saying that they don't agree and they don't like the way the program SHARP is working. That's a program where soldiers can file complaints about sexual harassment because they feel that if they do that, their career can be put on the line and also face retaliation. I asked about that to the Chief of Staff of the Army General, James McConville, and this is what he said. Well, if the fact that we have any soldier that comes to the United States Army that's concerned about our program uh, is a great concern to me. And uh, what we're doing right now is we're, we're taking a look at that. We're going to put the proper measures in place. I have three children, one daughter that serves uh, in the United States Army, and parents are sending their sons and daughters, and we need to make sure that we're providing a safe and secure environment for them to serve. Andrea, on July 29th, Vanessa Guillén's family are scheduled to come to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Trump, and on the 30th, they will go to Congress to participate in the presentation of a legislation named after Vanessa Guillén. Of course, we're going to be following that up to bring you the latest here in U News. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thanks so much, Edwin, for that update. This week, the president doubling down on warnings about sending federal agents to several American cities. Now, some leaders in Detroit, Michigan, softening to that idea. Initially, critics worried officers would clash with protesters like they have in Portland, Oregon. They say demonstrations in Detroit have been peaceful and they don't want federal agents involved with them. But now the White House is signaling the agents will stick to addressing crime. As for the protesters themselves, leaders say the National Guard was never needed there to keep demonstrations nonviolent, and they question the administration's motives in moving federal agents into their city. Meanwhile, the Department of Homeland Security says a special response team is headed to Seattle to help protect federal facilities. DHS says the team from Customs and Border Protection is on standby in Portland this week. Unidentified, camouflaged federal authorities were seen arresting protesters. And the Justice Department's Office of the Inspector General has opened an investigation into those arrests and other actions by DOJ personnel in Portland. Inspector General Michael Horowitz announced the inquiry the day after federal agents tear-gassed the city's mayor, Ted Wheeler, during a protest Wednesday night just outside a federal courthouse. At a broader level, the inspector general will review the way DOJ personnel have been used to respond to protests and civil unrest in both Portland and Washington, D.C. It went down for months, but now the unemployment rate is going up again. Last week, more than 1.4 million people applied for unemployment benefits for the first time, 100,000 more than the week before. As infections and closures climb, unemployment figures are following the same trend. Some economists believe the virus is controlling the labor market. 
It certainly controls the jobs of these Latino workers who came to get tested. Their fear is not only the disease, but also the prospect of becoming unemployment if their tests come back positive. This man says he needs to work. That is why he came to this country. Those who still have a job may end up paying a hefty price. The jobs performed by Latinos might be essential, but all of that hard work and the risks involved have led to a place where Latinos today represent 50% of San Francisco's confirmed cases. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. Millions of people are at risk of losing the roof over their head, and that's because the federal moratorium on evictions expires today. The measure, which was passed in March as part of the CARES Act, protected renters and homeowners with federally backed mortgages from being evicted. However, Congress failed to pass an extension to avoid this looming housing crisis. And joining me now is Cristina Trejo. She's a housing attorney at Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. Cristina, welcome to You News. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for being with us. So you represent several clients facing eviction. Talk to us about what happens next for them. Well, I represent more than, than a few. Uh, right now, what's going on is that, the, like you mentioned, the moratorium is ending uh, tomorrow and eviction courts have opened and people are going to be homeless. Do these individuals basically have to come up with three months of back rent or vacate their homes, basically? Right. So we're talking about the people that were protected because they were in CARES Act covered properties. They didn't have to pay rent for the, during the period that the moratorium was going on, but that doesn't mean that the rent wasn't accruing. So depending on whether they were able to make some rent payments or not, they may have anywhere from one to three months due. And if they cannot pay it, they are going to end up being evicted. Can you describe some of the cases that you're now encountering? Yes, people's balances are just, I mean, for, for legal aid attorneys, they are astronomical. We've never seen such large rent amounts. We usually go to court to defend people, help them out over a bump when they've had a small financial setback and they have maybe one month overdue or something. But to somebody who already was living paycheck to paycheck, and then they suddenly lost one, two, three months of paychecks, they just cannot make up that amount. So we're trying to coordinate and I'm sure uh, places across the U.S. are doing the same thing, like legal aid providers. We're trying to coordinate and help them to find resources to, to make up the rent. But a lot of times it's just too much. What are some of the impacts of an eviction on renters beyond simply losing their homes? Because there is that social aspect, like you mentioned, some people just don't have the money because they lost jobs. Perhaps as a family of three, four, five family members with children in the process that have to find a school or homeschooling. There's a lot of aspects to this issue. Oh, my goodness. It is, it is just the most devastating thing that can happen to a family. It, it will affect them for at least a decade. Anyone who has rented knows that if you have an eviction on your record for non-payment of rent especially, you are going to have to apply to places that are not going to be the best quality, people who will take you with that eviction on your record. And for families or anybody really, that means moving into a part of town that might have less resources, might not have as good resources available. If you have kids, they're going to end up going to lower quality schools. There's it just continues to impact people for a long time. They end up losing their personal property. You know, they don't have money to rent a storage or people to help them move. And especially right now during this pandemic, who does? 
they end up losing their personal property. It'll get taken out to the curb. And so the little that they have is gone. Very difficult times in our country. Thanks so much, Cristina Trejo, housing attorney at Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. Take care. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. You News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. The coronavirus crisis continues to escalate in Latin America. Mexico posted almost 8,500 new coronavirus cases in 24 hours, a daily record, along with an additional 718 deaths. And that's according to data from the health ministry. The Latin American country has recorded more than 370,000 cases so far and 42,000 deaths since its first confirmed case was reported in late February. And Colombia's health ministry reported 315 new coronavirus deaths, its highest daily record yet amid this pandemic, raising that country's total to more than 7,600. Meanwhile, the South American nation also reported nearly 8,000 new cases, bringing its total number of confirmed cases at around 226,000. This comes the same day Colombia's capital, Bogotá, put five more neighborhoods on lockdown. Months into the coronavirus pandemic, many countries are still struggling to flatten the curve. Argentina reported over 6,000 new cases Thursday, a new record for the South American nation. The total number of cases nationwide is now getting closer to 150,000. The country also reported 114 new deaths, raising the death toll to just over 2,700. And in neighboring Bolivia, the presidential election will now be postponed until October 18th because of the pandemic. The move is drawing criticism from leftist former leader Evo Morales. The coronavirus has hit Bolivia hard with the conservative interim president Janine Anis and many of her cabinet testing positive. And China announcing a $1 billion loan to Latin America and Caribbean nations for COVID-19 vaccine access. The announcement came during a virtual gathering between the Chinese foreign minister and his Latin American counterparts Thursday. And this is according to a statement released by the Mexican Foreign Affairs Ministry. President López Obrador thanked China for the loan during his daily briefing. The Asian superpower has made a number of financial and political inroads in Latin America over the last decade, a move seen as countering U.S. influence in the region. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.